Hey everybody, I'm Father Roderick and you are listening to The Break. And over here in the Netherlands, it's a cold, windy, and wet, rainy day. <laughs> but that's normal for this time of the year. Actually, temperatures are even higher than is uh, that, that what we're used to. But I guess we'll just have to get used to these higher temperatures. <laughs> This episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons uh, over at patreon.com slash fatheroderick. I'm so glad to have that community that helps me to do what I do and also provides me with a ton of questions and suggestions and, and great ideas and just general friendship. It's a fun club. And if you are able to support the work that I do, my outreach to people that may never ever listen to it or even talk to a priest in the, in the churches, in the parishes, well... I'm out there on TikTok, on YouTube, on Twitter, on Mastodon, on Facebook, on Instagram, and wherever I can be at Twitch. Um, and I try to connect. And, and that kind of works. But I cannot do that without your support as well, your prayers, and also, if possible, your financial support. So if you want to help me with that mission of outreach, then take a look at patreon.com slash fatheroderick. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. It finally happened. The countdown this time went all the way to zero. Artemis is now on its way to, to uh, I was going to say to Mars, but to the moon. Let's start with the moon and then we'll see where we can go from there. Um, and, and of course, uh, the launch had been postponed several times in the past. They even had to bring the whole rocket back to the, how do you call that? Like the shed? <laughs> The rocket, the the rocket shed, uh, to make some adjustments and repairs, and uh, but it finally launched yesterday morning. I'm recording this on uh, Thursday, uh, November the seventeenth, and uh, and that was of course uh, very very cool because we haven't been to the moon for a while. Well, actually, I have. Uh, at least in 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 thoughts and on the television screen. Uh, I will review uh, later on in this show the excellent Ronald D. Moore television series for all mankind, which is all about uh, space travel and uh, and visits to the moon. Um, but this is real life, and it's so incredibly cool. There is a, an extra reason for me to be happy with that, you know, renewed exploration of the moon because Artemis has a couple of solar panels to provide it with electricity that are made in my home country in the Netherlands. And, of course, we're kind of proud that we're contributing to this amazing project. Uh, now, this is an unmanned uh, uh, trip to the moon. It is a very, in, uh, 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 very much a test flight, you could say, uh, preparing for manned missions to the moon. And then the idea is to build uh, a base on the moon and maybe in the future use that as a, a way to jump to, to Mars or other places in the in the in our solar system even though probably not on one of the gas giants but uh well there are some interesting um moons circling jupiter mostly that may warrant a visit <laughs> in the future but i think mars is probably our best our best destination so far this is one of the only planets in our solar system where we can probably survive hopefully 
at least if all the doom and gloom from from the science fiction novels and 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 uh, movies will not uh, will not occur in real life. We'll see. It it I, what I like about stuff like this because you could you can always say well, it's a bit of a waste of money and don't we have other things to do here on our own planet? Why would we invest so much money and effort and uh, and, and human resources to to fly to a basically a, a brick in space? Because <laughs> the moon, there's just not much there for us. Uh, why would we go to Mars? There's not much on Mars that is worth it. Our planet, our own planet is much more valuable to us as humans than the planet Mars, and so why why do this? Well, I think it is because, first of all, curiosity. It's in our blood. It's in our genes. We want to explore, and our exploration helps us to be more in awe for the universe, which hopefully will give us also more respect for, for the planet that we live on, um, and maybe even can help us to be more, more thankful uh, for for this great gift of the universe that that reflects its creator in a certain way and uh, and and just the, the sheer size of it uh, the other day there was another amazing new photo by the James Webb telescope that was published maybe you've seen it it, it, it is um, it, it has the shape of an hourglass what we see all these nebulous gases um, that are um, that are present at the birth of a of a new star. Um, it's it's unbelievably beautiful. You'd think it's like art, but no, it's a photo. <laughs> Enhanced, of course, and using infrared and not just a visible spectrum, but still pretty amazing that stuff like that is out there. And the more we explore, the more we learn. Um, and also, these, these missions, these space missions, have always been an occasion for for mankind to come together, to work together, to to learn, to try st- stuff out, to develop new technologies that will then also serve mankind here on Earth. A lot of um, the, the space exploration in the past has led to uh, breakthroughs uh, technology-wise um, that, that, that we now take for granted. But if we, haven't ha- if we hadn't had uh, that, that, that push towards the stars then we may not have never been motivated to to develop uh, technologies like that so it, it is uh, um, I, I'm that's why I'm excited about this stuff plus it's just cool <laughs> it's just amazingly cool to have uh, people walking around on on, a, on the moon it, it, it's just insane how how much we are able to accomplish if we work together and 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 so it's my hope and also my prayer that um, our, our resources are used for this kind of stuff and not for warfare and development of even more efficient killing machines and weapons. Um, if there's anything that we learn from this repeating tendency that we have to start wars that and destroy one another is that that is a waste of our money, of our resources, because it, it, it doesn't further our progress, it, it doesn't help mankind, it doesn't help the poor. Warfare is extremely costly, and the only thing it does is to destroy um, what, what is most sacred uh, in, in this life, and, and that is human life. So let's continue to pray for peace in the world, but hopefully also our common gaze 
to the stars will help us realize how small we are, how insignificant our little quarrels are, and how we are called for, for a greater destiny than just but heads in, um, on, on, the, on, on the, 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 the fuels of war. Anyway, I'm an idealist. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. A couple of weeks ago, I got an email from Apple uh, signaling that they would raise the price of their Apple TV Plus service. I've been subscribed for about a year now, and um, I I wasn't paying anything (laughs) because I got a year's subscription uh, when I purchased the Apple iPad 12.6 inch. Uh, They they were still heavily promoting um, their relatively new uh, television platform, and so since it was free, and I, I was one of the last people to get a yearly subscription. They later on changed it to a couple of months that you get for free if you buy a new uh, Apple device. Um, but I still got to enjoy Apple TV Plus for about a year. And there were a number of series that I really loved. Uh, one of my favorites uh, is, is Tad Lasso, a show about a, a soccer team led by an American coach who knows nothing about soccer. And it's not about sports. It is just this heartwarming, feel-good television series. Uh, Incredible writing, so much fun. Um, Lots of life lessons also in that show. Um, It's a a brilliant, brilliant television series. I think we're only going to get one more season and they're wrapping it up. Um, And then I knew that there was also another series um, uh, that was there right from the start, and that was helmed by none other than Ronald D. Moore, who is, of course, the, I think, genius television producer and writer and, and showrunner uh, that has worked on uh, Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which is one of the best Star Trek series out there. And even more importantly, he was the genius who gave us the 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 remake of Battlestar Galactica and... I cannot tell you how much that series has meant to me. It's still my all-time favorite uh, science fiction television series. Um, Very, very long. I mean, like six seasons or something. They even went through a writer strike, which was so hard for them. And and so it's not without its flaws. There were some seasons that were kind of a bit slow or where you felt that the story started to meander and they didn't know where it was going. They literally had no clue. How to, how to wrap up the story. But I still think that they pulled it off tremendously well. Um, and everything was top-notch in the end. Well, uh, he then went on to, um, to make Outlander, uh, which was a television series totally different from, from anything he'd done before, based on a, a book series about this w- woman who works as a nurse uh, or a doctor in World War One, and then... Um, is transported through magical stones in Scotland to, um, I think, 19th century Scotland or <laughs> even earlier Scotland, uh, where she encounters um, f- f- faraway family members. I think there is like one main character who is uh, an ancestor of her of her husband in, in current 
time and initially of course she wants to go back to her to her timeline or her her present day um but then she's just stuck in the past and it was such an interesting concept the books are extremely popular i watched the first season uh of the tv show and even though it's i'm not I'm not the ideal target audience. I think it's more geared towards women, although I don't I don't know for sure, but that's kind of what I feel it is. Um, so I didn't watch the rest, but but it was it was pretty good. I liked the writing. I liked the whole concept, uh, the way that it was done. The music was was great. Um, and then I, th- I I think they're still filming Outlander, isn't it? I don't think that series is, is wrapped up yet. But then he got contracted by Apple to make a new science fiction series. And um, that was based on uh, an original pitch, I think. Um, I think Ronald D. Moore himself came up with that. And, and it was an idea that was a, uh, similar to some of the Philip K. Dick stories, mostly uh, The Man in the High Castle, where uh, it's a story about an alternate timeline. What if... What if, uh, in, in, in The Man in the High Castle, what if the Nazis would have won the Second World War? What, what if Hitler would still be alive? And uh, what would America look like? And how would that play out? Um, in For All Mankind, the, the idea is, what if the Americans were not the first ones to land on the moon, but Russia was? Communist Russia. And they would not only have the first man on the moon, but also the first woman. And what if Nixon had stayed in power and no one would have ever discovered what he was doing behind the scenes and, uh, and, and he would be uh, uh, triggered by those Russian victories which, and, and, and that would result in him pushing NASA to also go to the moon to be the first country to have a moon base. And then so you follow all these astronauts uh, in, in this very fun alternate timeline uh, and, 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 and you, you get to see the training of the first astronauts and then the first women who are training to become astronauts and you get all the, uh, not just the, the whole like space exploration side of things but also the societal changes um, this is all taking place at least the first season in the 60s uh, early 70s there are some time jumps in the first season there will be there is actually a, a, a pretty major time jump after season one to season two where all of a sudden you're in the 80s um, and of course society was also changing and the the role of women was changing um, and and the television show integrates all these societal changes sociological changes the the, the new discoveries uh, and how they impacted the way that we look at each other and that we look at the world. Uh, you've got the political side as well um, that, is, um, uh, that, is, that is part of, of the storytelling. But it's all done in such an expert way. I mean, the show is so well written. Not everything is written by Ronald D. Moore. Um, he's, I think well, he definitely is in control of the overall story, but he wanted to work with a writer's team. So there are multiple writers and uh, every episode has um, one or more writers that, that brought the story together. But but he's still very much, I think, the, um, um, the kind of safeguarding the overall thrust of the show. And, and he is doing some pretty amazing things um, in terms of writing. What I loved about 
uh, for all mankind to most of the I've only watched the first season and then the first episode of the second season is um, uh, that you really uh, empathize with all these characters um, that there is some fantastic acting um, and what I love is uh, it's it's a gray world in the sense that everybody is flawed and uh, there are lots of tensions, there is lots of sadness, there are sudden events that have a major impact that have nothing to do with, with space exploration. But, you know, astronauts are just regular human beings as well. And so they also have to deal with with tragedy in their life, with, with marital problems. Um, there is uh, one of the female astronauts um, is actually in love with a, with a woman, um, and that was absolutely taboo in those times. And so NASA is, and also the government is uh, forcing her to cover it up by marrying uh, a guy who is who she's not in love with, and um, because and then the FBI is also probing NASA to see if they can find Russian traitors and or you know anyone who could uh, um, be. Uh, liable to, um, uh, uh, to, to, to basically to foreign influence uh, and and then you know having a, a, a non um, I would say that non traditional uh, relationship could cause uh, um, someone to be to, to well to, to be open to bribery if if that would be discovered by the Russians first and then they could uh, blackmail these people, etc., etc. Lots of complications like that. And then there's also what space travel does to people. You know, there's one point, uh, a couple of these astronauts are stuck on the moon and they cannot go back because there are problems with the the next uh, Apollo, what is it, Apollo 24 is sent to pick these astronauts up but then the, uh, the, the, something goes wrong. Um, there's well, I won't actually. I, I'm not going to talk spoilers, but something goes wrong, and so these these astronauts are stuck on the moon for more than a hundred days on this tiny, tiny little moon base, and it has a major impact on their on their mental health. And so you see that breakdown, and you see how how they're trying to hold things together. It's just incredibly well-written and very engaging. Um, I, I just couldn't stop watching. And there are two more seasons. The third season has now aired. And, uh, and there, there's probably going to be a fourth season, at least I hope. This is just one of those series. And I'm, I'm so glad that this is with Apple because I, I kind of feel that Apple is not going to uh, cancel the show, which is... A source of ongoing frustration that we get these... Like Westworld. Remember Westworld um, television series based on a movie, uh, a science fiction movie uh, you know, about people being in, in inside a, a, a real-life game where, where they were immersed um, in, a, in a fictional world, like a Western world, but but most characters that surrounded these these people that paid uh, a lot of money to be in this fake Western world, uh, a, a lot of these characters were robots. But then these robots become sentient and take over, and <laughs> it's, a, it's a fantastic concept. The first season was full of intrigue. It was 
wow, it was such a crazy television show. Um, and then I've never watched the subsequent seasons, uh, but apparently it it wasn't able to capture people's interest uh, as much as, as the first season was able to do. And now they canceled the show, but there's not going to be a wrap-up. There's, there's, it's just, it is what it is. It's finished. We will never know how it ends. And that is so frustrating. We've had that so many times with, with uh, especially with science fiction and fantasy series where you're in the middle of a story and then all of a sudden it stops and, and you're just left hanging. I hate that. I wish there was a like a clause in those contracts that if a studio decides to cancel the show because it doesn't work, that at least they get to do like two episodes during which they can wrap up the story. I feel like you're you're we're obligated to to the to the creators to give them a way and also to us as viewers to to find closure in these stories. I hate open-ended stories like that. So I I have hopes that Apple will not do that. And if they do, if they cancel <laughs> <laughs> for all mankind, without giving the uh, Ronald D. Moore uh, the, the opportunity to wrap up the story, I will. I will go Android. There you go. I will vote with my wallet. I will go. And no, I'm just kidding. But I, I truly hope that Apple is a, a bit more careful with their intellectual property compared to the big guys like you know Netflix and Amazon Prime. Uh, they've got so much money to burn, and now all of a sudden they need to uh, save money. And so well, all of these great shows are getting the axe because it's not getting the number of viewers. But I, uh, oftentimes I think it's it's also a matter of uh, having so much. There's so much to watch on these platforms. And so oftentimes when there's a new series, like The Witcher, for instance. I was watching the first season of The Witcher. I love that uh, franchise. I love the story. Um, but I haven't watched the second season yet. But I know it's there, so I'll check it out later when I have time, when I've finished like the five other television series that I'm trying to to fit, to uh, catch up with. So it doesn't mean that I'm not interested in The Witcher. It's just like it's there already, so it's on hold. But but apparently for Netflix, that is oftentimes if they don't get immediate success, they'll just cancel the show. But I feel like that's the wrong way to approach it because. Uh, there's just so much on these channels or on these platforms. And, and maybe that is also why Apple TV Plus is, is, is doing so well because they have very few series. If you compare Apple with Netflix, Amazon Prime, even HBO Max, Apple has almost nothing. But what they do have is quality. And, and it's, so it's quality over quantity. Now, I don't know at which point you have to factor in also just the lack of quantity uh because the, when i when i'm done watching uh the what let's say five or six television series that i'm interested in if tat lasso is wrapped up if uh, for all mankind is done i don't know if there is enough back catalog on apple for me to stay subscribed after all it is what is it 6.95 euros that is a that's quite a bit of money. It's not as expensive as uh, Disney Plus or uh, or Netflix, but with Netflix and Disney Plus, you get a ton of of stuff. There, there's always something to watch and to rewatch. I don't know if Apple is there yet, but uh, hey, at the moment, for all mankind, that is my go-to show. I've got two more 
seasons to uh, to enjoy. And something tells me that uh, I'll be done next week. That's how good it is. <laughs> it's just an invitation for binge watching. <laughs> Catholics rock! It is time for a visit to the Peculiar Bunch. Those strange Catholics with their mysterious rituals. And you always wanted to know what they're up to, but you never dare to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Today I want to answer a listener's question that I got on Discord. And it was a question about the whole concept of purgatory. How does that work? Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. It's not the first time that I've tried to uh, address this question and to explain um, the Catholic view on life after this life. But I also realized that um, I've been doing this show since 2005. <laughs> I've been answering people's faith-related questions since the year 2005. So, yeah, probably not everyone has listened to each and every episode. So it's okay. There, there are no dumb questions. And repeat questions can also be a way for us to refresh our memory. So here we go again. <laughs> what is awaiting us after we die? Well, of course, if I knew the exact answer to that, ooh, I would, I would, uh, I would have no trouble uh, getting traction because that, that isn't this what we all want to know? You know, when we die, what happens? You know, there are only a few options. First one, probably something that a lot of people nowadays think, is when we die, it's just as if we just shut down the computer. You know, our brain stops functioning, and so since our brain is where all these memories are stored and connections and where our identity is uh, is formed, well, if, if you shut down the, the system and it decays, then you are no longer there. It's the end. That's it. Then there are also uh, people that uh, believe, and, and uh, this, is, this has been a constant uh, during the history of mankind, the recorded history of mankind, that people, um, and I'm talking about tens of thousands of years ago, have always expressed their belief in an afterlife in one way or another. And you see this universally all over the world. Now, of course, you could say that that is wishful thinking. You know, it's uh, it's just, uh, it just goes to show that people have always dreamed about stuff that isn't real. <laughs> we're, we're, we're a very much... Uh, we, we love our stories, we love our fairy tales, and so we just came up with these fairy tales to soothe us because we're ultimately very afraid of, um, of the future and of, uh, of this possibility that maybe when we die, that's it. And <laughs> that's the end. Um, but you can also look at it from another direction. Um, philosophy and also metaphysics, theology... Um, has a long-standing tradition of uh, of defining uh, human life as not just a physical, like happy accident. You know, we're not just here because because of evolution just kind of somehow came up with uh, with with uh, the, uh, with us sentient beings who are 
to a certain extent also aware of our existence and have self-awareness. Um, but the, 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 the if, even if you embrace um, evolution, it doesn't exclude um, the, that, that there still has to be like an ultimate cause. There is causality. And there is evolution. There is pro- progress in 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 our in our universe, and we 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 can measure that. We can see this if we if we study by uh, the, the the biological world that surrounds us. We see that that species will adapt and they will evolve, and um, depending on where they live and uh, what their their natural enemies are, uh, the, the available food, all that determines what animals look like and how they behave, that which has led throughout the ages to this incredible diversity of, of, of living, living beings. And so we are probably part of that evolution to some extent. But who, who sets that in motion? <laughs> Where does it come from? You know, you can say, well, ultimately, if you go back, we we have these microorganisms that are ultimately the cause, the result of, uh, uh, you know, like stars colliding and stardust, and then that creates planets, and there is one planet that is exactly at the right uh, um, distance of the sun to benefit from its warmth and not getting scorched, and it has water, and then all these, like cells start to form and then and then you have life and then life evolves and then over time we're just like supercomputers uh, and, and and it took hundreds of thousands millions billions of years to get to the point where where there is mankind um but but does that necessarily preclude the existence of a god creator who is not part of creation that that is like the main wow this is a big detour sorry about the metaphysics but <laughs> believe me i'll talk about purgatory but uh it's theology has always said god is above our our physical world as the creator um that's why you know thinking about god is is part of metaphysics and not about uh, about physics um and this this recurring intuition that there has to be more to life than just the the time that we spent here on earth that there's more to each and every human being than just you know a bunch of cells with a very developed uh highly developed supercomputer which we call our brain uh, but that that there there may be causality um that that is willful that that is there's actually a an entity an entity and even an entity is is the, is the wrong term um god is not a being god is and, and he he is what makes everything be if that makes sense <laughs> so there there nothing is without god who is the essence of 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 being um and so what if all these different forms of, of, of uh, religion that you see and all these, these depictions of afterlife are part of our programming in a certain way? It's, it's, it's there to guide us, to, 
to this creator who wanted us to be here, who wants us to be here, who loves us, and who wants us to also, in one way or another, uh, to, to... to live beyond this earthly life. So everything in our world decays, even our bodies. We, 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 we only have to look in the mirror. <laughs> Over the years, we will see that we, we'll start to lose hair and our noses and ears will continue to grow, but everything else just <laughs> kind of breaks down. And in the end, we die. Um, and it's a relatively short time that we have here on Earth. You know, a lot of people will die between, I don't know, the age of 60 to the age of 110. Well, that's, that sounds like a lot of margin, but ultimately it's, it's just a blink of an eye if you compare it to the overall time that this earth has existed. And so what if there is more to our lives than just uh, the physical aspect of it? Uh, and so religion has often called this this eternal dimension of our of our human life as as the soul, and the soul is is um, living inside this body, and, and 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 it's not to disregard the body, it's not to just kind of brush brush aside uh, what we've learned from neurosciences and the way our brain works, but it is um, it's. It's this idea that there is um, that 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 is kind of the support uh, of our of our soul, but um, it, it, there is an eternal principle that will also live beyond beyond this life. And uh, the the belief in this physical resurrection that Catholics have is an affirmation of the importance of of us being both soul and body. Uh, and, and, and and you cannot have one without the other to be truly human. So the, the, the physical resurrection, which is confirmed by Jesus, is um, is a is a, a validation of the fact that we have both this physical um, mortal aspect, but also an immortal aspect of our lives, which is our soul. And so, where does the soul go when we die? Well, <laughs> if you if you embrace this hypothesis that, that, well, maybe there is an eternal part of me that, that lives on after this life, then where do we go? Well, asking that question is already doing the wrong thing. But where do we go? Because there is no where. When we talk about where, we're talking about the physical world. If we talk about life after this life, we're talking about the metaphysical world. Our souls have no physical dimension and so where does it go um maybe we should start to think about the afterlife not as a place but as a as a state of life as a relationship maybe or the lack thereof what is the most what survives decay in this life right when 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 people get older uh, the body breaks down, uh, our health starts to deteriorate. What is something that can withstand that? Isn't it our relationships? Is, if, if someone is 100 years old uh, and is dying in a hospice, there, there's one thing that remains, and that is 
the dignity of that person and how it relates to another person that takes care of that person. The relationship is independent of physical decay. Actually, it can even grow stronger, that relationship and that love, when everything else starts to, starts to break down. That's, that's, that's magical. That is incredible. Love, over time, can grow stronger instead of breaking down like everything else. It's not always the case. Also, relationships can break down. But we feel somehow that in an ideal world, relationships would only grow stronger. Love would only increase over time instead of diminishing. And so what if? What if that is the blueprint for what's to come in, in the life after this life? What if our future is a relationship? A relationship with God and a relationship with the people that we love in this world, in, 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 in my life. Um, and so if you, if you approach this whole idea of so what happens when we die, in terms of a relationship, then that ultimately can help you understand a little bit more, a little bit better what the church means when it talks about heaven, about hell, and about purgatory. We immediately have images of hell, very clear, uh, flames, suffering, the devil, Satan, and, and his minions, the other you know, uh, uh, evil spirits. And then heaven, we think of fluffy clouds, we think of St. Peter at the pearly gates, we think of God somewhere up high, surrounded by cherubim and other angels. And we ourselves, we imagine ourselves maybe with wings. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. And then purgatory is maybe the, the vaguest thing because we don't talk about it that much. And so maybe you'll imagine that as kind of a misty world where everything is gray, uh, where you don't really know where you are. It's all kind of hazy and it's, it's, it's cold. <laughs> That's how I'm, I imagine purgatory. But all those images are, of course, just something we hold on to because we have no concepts to, to, uh, to hold on to when we think about this. Well, but so how would you talk about heaven, hell, and purgatory in terms of a relationship? Well, then it actually becomes a bit easier uh, to think. Not to imagine, but definitely to think. Heaven would be defined as a 100% committed relationship with God where you're holding nothing back. It's this full, this heart that is completely open to God, where, where God is everything for you, and you are everything for him. And, and it's this, that is what, what sainthood is, what um, being a saint is being someone who is translucent to the light of God. It fills that person completely. Um, so it's, it's the summit of, of love. And, you know, quantities don't matter. <laughs> it's the quality of the relationship that matters. So um, everybody loves in different ways, but we know that perfect love is hard to find in this life, but we believe that, you know, somehow in, in there, there, there must be at least a possibility of perfect love after this life. So, And then what is hell? It's the a total opposite. It is the non-relationship with God. It's, it, it is what, it's the state of an eternal soul. So it's not, you know, a soul that, that just disappears and ceases to exist. That's impossible if the soul is eternal. But it is a soul who has decided to turn away from that love and to close 
itself completely, 100% to that love. And that is the ultimate form of suffering. We know this from experience. We know that a life where you're not loved, where people have hurt you, make you feel abandoned and miserable, um, that is already the beginning of hell. Hell is the state that we experience where we are not loved, but we crave love. The, the souls in hell crave love, but they can't get it because they themselves refuse to love and to open themselves to love. So what is purgatory? Well, it's everything in between. <laughs> it is that state where we are not closing ourselves completely off to God, uh, but we're also not entirely healed yet or open. We're in this kind of in-between state that is, and that's, that's the big advantage of purgatory, it is still already a state where ultimately we will be saved. And how much time, time is also a weird concept to use in, for a state that knows no time, um, but when that happens is up to us and not up to God. Because purgatory is a, is a direct result, or the, the, the possibility of the existence of purgatory is a direct result of, of uh, Catholics um, confirming our free will and God's respect for our free will. He is like a patient father. It's not by accident that Jesus uses this beautiful parable of a father who is on the lookout for his son who is lost, who seemingly is lost. And this father doesn't even know if his son will ever return, but he's waiting for him every single day. And then it's the son himself who decides to return to the father. And once he's finally ready to do that, he's embraced by his father and he's being led into the, the house of the father where it's a feast and, and there's happiness and there's joy because this son of his who he thought was dead has returned to life. So it's up to the son to return to the father. Father can never force uh, his son to return to him, but he will patiently wait. That is what purgatory is. Um, and of course, this is still a story that helps us uh, realize that, that this is all about our choices. And so... Why doesn't God just let everybody in uh, in heaven? Why is the pearly gate sometimes closed? It's not because God locks it, but it's because we lock it. Or we just hesitate or just need time to adjust to this incredibly powerful love that is also shining so brightly that we see our own shadows so clearly which makes us afraid to approach this light. Because the closer we get to the light, the, the harsher the shadows are, are showing up. And, and, and then what is heaven? It's that, time, that moment and that can already be in this life that you are trusting enough to let go even of your own shadows, that you can confide your, your darkest sides to, to God's light and to God's mercy. And that's hard. That's very, very difficult. If, and, and we know this by looking 
in inside our own souls. You, we, we know how dark we can sometimes be, how dark our choices be, how much hurt we can cause to others. And so, and it's difficult to acknowledge that. That That is why going to confession is so incredibly hard for so many people. Because it confronts us with our with our with the pain that we have caused and that hurts us too. And so it, it requires a lot of faith and a lot of trust to let go of that and to admit it. Um, but ultimately, that's the only way. That's the narrow gate that we have to go through. And God just looks at us with mercy and with love and he just tells us, whenever you're ready, whenever you're ready, I will be there. If it takes a year, if it takes a century, if it takes a thousand centuries, I will be waiting for you. I've been waiting since the beginning of time <laughs> and I have all eternity. So just say the word and I will heal your soul. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night, the packet, the extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? It is time to talk books, and I am reading, or I've read a couple of books last week, um, and the one I enjoyed the most is written by an actress who I only knew from uh, The Office. You, you know by now that um, The Office is my all-time favorite co comedy series. I love The Office. Um, and one of the characters that was introduced much later on in, in the fifth season, if I'm not mistaken, at the end of the fifth season... Uh, was uh, actress Ellie Kemper. And she played Aaron. I forgot the last name of the of um, or her character. And uh, she is um, introduced to the at the end of series five because Pam, who used to be the uh, the how do you say that man, the secretariat of the, of the office. She is at the welcoming desk. She changes jobs and then they need a replacement. And then Aaron is taking over her job. And that was originally just intended to be like a, a three or four episode story arc. But then it worked so well that they kept her for the rest of the entire series. And uh, they even modified her role because the actress herself um, had a very quirky character, a, a particular sense of humor. Um, and more and more, the character that she played, Aaron, started to resemble the actual <laughs> actress and, and her character and her, her mood. So it's interesting if you go back and you watch the evolution of her character. She, she first starts off as kind of this sassy, uh, um, a, a little bit, not arrogant, but she's like very quick and um, she definitely holds the fort <laughs> and then very different from Pam who is more I don't know more kind of a more gentle character um, and then over time the quirky side uh, starts to emerge and it works so well because it just fits the actress very well and, and the office constantly did this they they always were were eager to use the strong points of the various actors and actresses and even their feedback also to write their roles and the the, I think the the ability of the writers to 
to listen to the feedback of the actors and actresses is part of why the chemistry works so well. So anyway, Ellie Kemper um, has also starred, and I did not really know this because I've never watched the series, but she is the main, she's the lead character in a series on Netflix called The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which I probably never checked out because of the title, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I had no idea what to what that show would be about. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I, th- I thought it was just about, I don't know. I Actually, I thought it was about a guy. Kim, Kim, Kimmy, Kim, Kimmy Schmidt. I, I don't know. I just like, uh, unbreakable. I don't know. It just felt like maybe it's about this very bolsterous person. I, I don't know. It just didn't appeal to me. Turns out she's actually playing uh, someone who has been, I think, abducted for many years and she's been locked up. And then, and then the series is about what happens to her if she, when she's freed. And I, I, that's all I know about the series. But now that I've read this book that she wrote, this autobiography, I am definitely looking forward to checking out that series as well. So uh, the book is called My Squirrel Days. And you would think that uh, she would capitalize on, on, on her time as an actress on these famous shows, on The Office and on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and that the book would be mainly just a series of anecdotes because that's what we can most relate to. We know her character from from the television show, so we know we want to know all the gossip about what was happening behind the scenes. And in fact, there's almost nothing of that in the book, which at first is a bit disconcerting. It's like, hey, I expected more of the about the television series and... Had it not been for the fact that in f- the, the, her story, the way she tells the story, is so entertaining and so incredibly funny that you really don't miss it that that she doesn't talk that much about her roles and and not actually not even as her career as an actress, but it's the humor. It's just the it's just such a charming book that had me laugh out loud all the time, and and I love books that actually have that effect on me where I'm I'm listening to the audiobook she narrates the book herself and I'm just laughing out loud all the time like I'm doing my groceries in the supermarket and all of a sudden I, I just cannot help myself I'm just laughing and everybody's looking at me like what, what is he laughing at but it puts a smile on my face and gosh we need that in these these dark and gloomy times that we live in so that is why I can heartily recommend this this book. Um, now, of course, maybe not as entertaining if you don't know the actress, if you've never watched The Office. But for those of you that have, I would say definitely check it out. All right, let's pay a visit to my kitchen. The other day I had friends over for dinner which doesn't happen very often because, well, I'm busy and I also sometimes I'm just very tired in the evenings and I try to, as much as possible, to to keep my evenings quiet. So, um, But I also, if I invite friends over, I prefer to invite them over for dinner because I just like to cook for people. It's, I love cooking. I love cooking for myself, which is actually apparently not a thing. Uh, especially not for men. <laughs> I don't know. That's probably just uh, the way that we've been raised and it's our culture. Um, but uh, I, I really enjoy cooking. 
I love cooking for myself because I can try out any recipe and nobody is victim is the victim when things go wrong. I will eat it even if it's charred and burned. But every once in a while, when I have friends over, I invite them for dinner and then I cook for them. And I, t- today I wanted to share with you what I, what I do because it also freaks me out when I have to cook for others, especially because I know that sometimes I mess up and sometimes what I had in mind doesn't turn out the way I thought it would. And if it's just me, I don't mind. I can even, like, if it's really ruined, I can always throw in a, a pizza in the oven and or, or make a quick pasta and just... Uh, <laughs> but I can't do that, of course, if, uh, if I have guests over. So... Um, all day long, I was I was kind of a bit like, what am I going to cook? And gosh, why did I invite them for this week? Uh, I don't have the bandwidth to think about recipes. What am I going to do? And then I remembered something from, from something I told myself in the past. It's like, when you don't know what to cook, go for the stuff that you really like to cook yourself. Don't think about what would they like to eat. Think about what do you like to eat the most? <laughs> what do you like the best? It's like when you give a present to someone else. It's like give something that you would like to get as a gift. Now, maybe that's actually not good advice because if you like, I don't know, flowers or roses and <laughs> you give them to someone else and that other person may not enjoy flowers. I'm talking about myself. I don't like flowers. I couldn't care less about flowers. So please never give me flowers. They will just go... They, you give them to me, they die. That's what flowers usually do. But I have a hard time. That's why most of my plants in the house are plastic. <laughs> I'm ashamed to say, but that's the only way that I can have something that resembles plants and it stays alive. It stays green. Uh, yeah, don't give me flowers. So anyway, disregard that advice. But when it comes to cooking, yeah, why not cook what you like to eat and what you know you can cook? So here's what I made. I like I wanted to of course I always want to make a good impression on my guests and I want to also spoil them a little bit. So I'm not just going for one meal now. I want to always do a three-course dinner when I invite people over. Uh, because there's something cool about having three courses. It's like, oh, you thought that this pasta was the only thing I would feed you, but wait, there is more. And now that you're really stuffed, do you really think I will let you go home without dessert? There is dessert. And then, of course, you uh, you serve them uh, a, a good bottle of wine, or if they don't like to drink alcohol, some, some other, you know... I, I want to start with a, an appetizer even before you go to eat. So what I always try to do, and this is this is tricky when you're when you're receiving guests as a celibate priest, I am the only guy who's running the show. So I have to cook, but I also want to be with my guests. And this is usually when I uh, this is why I I try to make stuff that is quick to make and still and still work. So I'm not going for recipes that need more than 15 minutes uh, to, to I, I may do some prep beforehand, but I don't want to be in the kitchen longer than 15 minutes per, per course. So here's what I made. Um, I, I first started off with, uh, and actually my guests arrived an hour earlier. I was still cleaning the house. Does that happen to you? you? You clean the house, especially when you know you get guests. <laughs> so I was still scrubbing the floor and then ding-dong, 
oh my gosh, they're an hour earlier than I thought they would be. <laughs> anyway, so I invite them over. Uh, I, I invite them in. I serve them a drink. Um, I always have some assorted nuts or something like that so they can already, like, uh, whet their appetite. And at one point, after about half an hour, I was like, okay, I have to cook. Well, you can just stay here and sit here if you want to. Uh, or just come to the kitchen. And so I have... I have a kitchen where you can sit. Uh, two people can sit there. And so, and then I just cook right there and we continue the conversation. The thing is, if you have a conversation with people, you want to do something that is not too complicated because otherwise it's hard to multitask. So I I went for a pasta cremosa con uh, polo. Why am I using an, an English accent for that? So pasta cremosa con polo. Uh, which is super simple. You, you take spaghetti. I found this great brand at little of all places, of, and it's very cheap spaghetti, but it's so good. It's got the perfect, I don't know, it's Italian, it's an Italian brand, and it's super great al dente. It's, it's got, it's, feels like something you would get at a restaurant in, in Italy. Um, so you cook the spaghetti, really important to keep it at like seven minutes so it's not it's even before it gets al dente because you want it to get al dente while you're putting it in the sauce at the same time uh this is i pre-prepared this a chicken breast you cut it into pieces you um, coat it with uh, cornstarch um, put it in oil and then the cornstarch is there to seal the chicken so it, it stays moist and then once it's, uh, uh, it's nice and golden, I then add uh, garlic. Uh, did I add onion? Probably not. Just garlic and some herbs, you know, pepper, salt. Uh, and then the secret ingredient, uh, cream. Just simple cream. Uh, and, and, and then you just mix it up. Uh, with the chicken, and then you add in the spaghetti after that, and you you uh, toss it around for another minute until it is perfectly al dente. It's completely coated with this uh, this nice creamy sauce, and then you uh, I I I actually didn't have um, uh, basil uh, because I'm, I'm I'm growing my own basil, but it, it's uh, don't ask. That's another story for another podcast. But anyway, so but I did have some fresh herbs that I cut up. And I sprinkled it over it. I always like to add a bit more of uh, a dash of, of black pepper, uh, freshly uh, ground uh, black pepper. And I served that. Um, and, that and it was really nice. <laughs> it was, I, I was eating it. I was like, hmm, I like this. <laughs> that is some really good pasta. And then uh, when, when that is finished, um, I always go for something super simple, but still fancy. I use pre-marinated uh, fish fillet. Um, so pangaceous, is it pangaceous? It's like this uh, basically bred in captivity fish. It's not too expensive. And you can just buy it at supermarket. It is, you know, it's, it's a bit more expensive than what I would buy for myself, but for guests, you know. Um, so it's, um, it's basically a fillet of fish um, that is already marinated with some herbs, um, some oil. You put it in a pan, it's... What I love about about fish, it's how quickly it's it's done in just a couple of minutes. Uh, you actually have to be careful that, that it doesn't burn um, or sticks to the pan. 
And then be, uh, before I served the pasta, I'd already put like these um, potato, not slices, but these little potato, uh, how would you call it, croquettes in, in my air fryer. So those were nice and brown and crispy. And, and I, I whipped up a quick, uh, a quick uh, uh, cheese sauce, um, also a bit creamy sauce, which I then pour over the, the, the potato croquettes. And I serve the, the fish on the side. And I always have a salad, just a very simple um, salad with, with uh, lettuce, um, tomato. What else did I put in there? sometimes I'll just uh, uh, um, use some sunflower seeds, for instance, and I, I, I put them in a pan, in a dry pan, for, for a minute or so until they start to smoke a little bit. You, you pour that over, and then uh, just simple uh, olive oil and, um, um, and, and some, some wine vinegar, and that's it, and some pepper and salt. And it, was, it was just great. I loved it. <laughs> the fish... Love the fish. It's not very heavy uh, because you already had your pasta, so you don't want to follow that up with the secondo that is like super, like a huge chunk of beef or something like that. So I, I lo always love to do fish, and it's like quick. It's very quick, like 10 minutes, and, and you're done. You can start continue to eat. And then for dessert, this is my secret weapon. Always do chocolate desserts. I don't know anyone who could refuse something with chocolate. If you serve anything else, there's always like, yeah, I don't know about that. Maybe that's I've, I'm full. But if you like chocolate, there's always room for chocolate. So in this case, I just had bought a small chocolate cake, also at Little, and it was uh, it was just deep frozen. So you just I just took it out of the fridge an hour before the guests arrived. And then it's easy to cut because it's still slightly cold. And you serve that with a cup of coffee or tea. And that's your dessert. And it's perfect. Oh, and then to put the crown on the dinner, I had some limoncello from Italy that Father Henry gifted me on my birthday. And I, I don't drink for my, when I'm alone. So I keep those bottles for when I have guests like that. And I was like, Hey, would you like to have a bit of uh, a smaller glass of uh, limoncello, just like in Rome? And then, <laughs> it's like this extra, extra thing, um, and and that's just what I learned in uh, in in Italy when I was studying in Rome. They, if you were a regular customer, the that's what the owners often did to make sure that you would return. They would serve you a limoncello on the house or a grappa or something like that. So you get this little. Uh, and it, it doesn't cost them that much because they will just buy it uh, for, for, you know, industry prices. But it's a gesture. It's much better than giving someone a discount. Like, you forget about discounts. You never forget about that free glass of, 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 of grappa or, or limoncello or whatever that they serve you. Uh, you feel special when people do that. So anyway, that's, that's what I copied myself as well. That's, that's what I cooked. <laughs> We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just 
That is a disaster. But there is one more thing. I'm so looking forward to what Apple is going to present next year because apparently they are now hiring software developers for their first AR VR headset. And you know this is Apple. So they're going to do something that is way more elegant and way more advanced than anything else that's out there on the market. And you know that I've been following this industry for quite a while now. I have my own uh, Meta Quest, and I love that thing, even though I never use it. <laughs> but I love the technology. I just wanted to go to the next level, and I sure, I'm sure that Apple, they've been taking their time. They've been developing this for, for a decade now. And I'm sure that they can they can do something that will wow us all. And it's just the first iteration. So over time, they want to go to full AR, where it's just like regular glasses. And there's always been this question, will we ever get glasses that just look like glasses instead of these big bulky headsets that we have to wear and we can only wear them for a short time because it's heavy and it's clunky and even the 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 new meta quest pro that uh, mark zuckerberg presented a couple of weeks ago um now that it's uh, being used by by real people uh you hear the same complaints over and over again like the technology is not there the software is not there yet and the headset is way too heavy you can only use it for about two well maximum of two hours then the battery is depleted, but you also have like indentations in your forehead because the thing is just, it's just too heavy. So I'm really hoping that Apple will show us something that is already very light, lightweight and elegant. And, and I have no doubt that over time we will just get regular classes and they will have all that technology. Well, one proof of concept that was introduced just last week, or actually yesterday... Um, on, on November the 16th, um, uh, confirmed my expectation that we will get to actually regular wearable glasses. Um, that technology is already here. Um, and it was not presented by Apple, but by Niantic. Niantic is the company that brought the world uh, Pokemon Go. Even if you haven't played it, you know what it is, right? It's this AR game where you walk around and you point your phone at digital pokemons little monsters and you 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 fight them with your own pokemons and then when you defeat them they become part of your collection and so uh this uh company has also dabbled with uh uh with hardware um, and they have now presented a reference design. So it's not a commercial product. You cannot buy this. But it's a working headset, an outdoor AR headset. And it's the second iteration um, where, for the first time, I can see myself wearing this in public. They actually also have a YouTube video, which I, if I don't forget, I will include it in the show notes on uh, fatherroderick.com, uh, where, where you will see this thing in use and people are playing a, a, a game that is a bit like Pokemon, wearing these headsets. The thing is, what I loved about this design is that it, it's wireless. It's very lightweight. I, thought, I think it's only 250 grams. So you can wear this for multiple hours. Um, and it's powered by um, a, an, an engine, a chip set that is in the back of the, of the device. So there's a head strap um, that goes all, all around. And, and then the, the most of the technology is in 
is you're wearing that in the back of the device, so it's not included in the glasses. Um, that's also where the battery is. Now, this was already an improvement over their last, uh, their first device, which looked very much more like a technology thing. It's it was a pretty ugly, very techy uh, uh, device. Um, all much more with hard plastic. Plus, it was tethered to a phone. Um, and, and they used all the feedback of people that, that, that were um, experimenting with this, this first prototype. And then that, w that brought them to deciding, like, the first thing, this needs to be a comfortable thing. And uh, you need to be able to wear this for, for hours, especially if you use this outside, because you're actually looking through through the glasses that you're it's not like cameras that will film the environment and then project it inside a closed headset that is what apple apparently is working on that's how the meta quest works but this is like translucent transparent glasses and but on top of that you have a projection projection of a digital layer um and uh but but the the the, the customers of the first prototype said we don't want those wires it's just kind of takes you out of the experiment experience and that is how they actually uh developed a, a new chipset or snapdragon the the company that makes a snapdragon chipsets um they uh designed a special prototype uh chipset that is first of all uh very powerful um but also very energy efficient. So it doesn't need uh, a heavy battery. It doesn't need an external device. It can all do it inside the headset itself. And you know that Snapdragon is, I would say, several generations behind what Apple has been developing over time. Snapdragon uh, chipsets are mostly used in, in like watches and small portable devices. But what Apple does with their chips sets the, the stuff that they put in the apple watch and in the iphones it's it's literally like 10 times as powerful as anything in the android world so if this is already possible with a snapdragon chipset then then apple should be way ahead of that and and and, and when i saw this prototype in the videos, I was like, yeah, this works. I don't think the software is there yet. It still looks a bit clunky. They show you what it looks like inside the headset, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. It's a little bit too, too... It feels like something I would barely accept on my phone. So, yeah, I want I want this, this, this digital layer to be much more... I don't know, lifelike, and, and it, it, there's still a lot of stuttering happening, and um, but I think that Apple has already developed all the technology that they need to make this more seamless. So, God, next year is going to be such an exciting year. And with that, I'm going to wrap up with uh, a with food for thought. Now, this is a quote that Inga actually uh, sent me over Signal um, that she found on Mastodon. Did you know, actually, that... Uh, George Takei is now also on Mastodon, as is Neil Gaiman, as is Stephen Fry. What are you waiting for? It's it's really great. I love Mastodon. Ever since I started my account there, I'm having great conversations, lovely people. It's, it's really different from Twitter. And so 
as a consequence, I'm not doing much on Twitter. I, I retweet stuff that I post on Mastodon. A lot of people still post their tweets to Mastodon. I do it the other way around. I just, every tweet that you see first was launched on Mastodon. Because I, I like it there, and I hope that people will discover it. What a great platform it is. Anyway, here's the quote. An empty lantern provides no light. Self-care is the fuel that allows your light to shine brightly. And I would add, for others. You cannot be a light if you don't put oil in your lamp. So take good care of what feeds you, what fuels you. And that's just another word for self-care. Take care. God bless. Talk to you soon.